game. Uh, they work hard defensively. Uh, they threw a lot at him, and um, you know we've got to be better. Um, you know around Giannis, uh, we got to execute a little bit better and make a few more plays. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Last night's Bucks game started out fun. It started good. Bucks were up 40 to 29 after the first quarter. I was thinking that, man, this is the best the Bucks have looked in the bubble, and you were probably thinking the same thing. The problem was, as the game went along, the game got a little bit less fun. The Bucks ended up losing 115 to 104. After the first quarter, they really struggled to get anything going, and then in the fourth quarter, Jimmy Butler just took over and won the game for his team. Now, normally, in a normal situation, what do we say about the NBA postseason, right? A series doesn't start until the home team loses a game. In a normal year, this series would be interesting because the home team, the Bucks, would have lost the home game. But in the bubble in Orlando at Disney World, there is no home team. So sucks to be the Miami Heat. I guess the series still hasn't started. <laughs> or I'm in denial about my team looking bad and losing in game one. Whatever. Let's talk about it. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. It, you know, look. It was a bummer that the Bucks lost last night, but that was probably, at least for stretches, the most interesting game I've watched the Bucks play since the beginning of the bubble. It was a blast of a game. Now, we can complain, and we're going to complain about what went wrong with the Bucks. Part of me still just feels grateful here 24 hours later, so part of me just feels grateful to have games on to watch. Um, and maybe I'm using that as an excuse to deflect my sadness and my disappointment with my team as they lost in Game 1. Look... <laughs> It wasn't against the Magic. It's a step up in competition. The Bucks looked great in the first quarter. They continue to make strides in the right direction, and I think they will eventually reach the level that they were earlier this season. The question is, will they reach that point fast enough? Because if you go down two to nothing or three to one, then we can't really joke about, you know, it's just one game. We can't downplay it. Then it starts to get serious. So the Bucks have some improvements to make. We're going to talk about him today. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to join the show, I'd love to have you coming up starting at 4.15. We'll open up the phone, 608-796-2558. That's the number to reach me. You can give me a call or you can give me a text. And we don't have to awkwardly talk on the phone. I don't have to, we don't have to try to talk over each other. If you just have a small thought and you want to share it, a text works fine as well. 608-796-2558. We're going to talk to Dave Carney, host of the WKTY Morning Show, coming up at 4.30. You know what? I joined Dave's show twice a week. I'm going to start asking Dave to come on more often, especially when we're talking about the Bucks, because he has such a good handle on the NBA and on the Bucks, and it's just fun to talk to Dave. Um, he leaves work at what? He, he gets up at 3 a.m. and leaves work at 10 p.m., so he's actually getting ready to go to bed probably pretty soon. We're probably keeping him up, so he probably doesn't appreciate that, but he will, he will join us coming up at 4.30. I also want to talk a little Packers today. We're going to talk about the Vikings and the Brewers. We're going to hit it all, but naturally the biggest story is the Bucks and the first game of their second round playoff series against the Heat. Let's start there. We're going to be talking about a loss today. You know, why the Bucks lost, the things that they did wrong. We're going to be talking about bad things today. Like, let's be clear about that up front. This isn't necessarily going to be the most fun show. We're not going to be celebrating anything today. 
Today's show is going to be relatively negative. It's going to be frustrating. We're talking about a loss, a playoff loss. That's never fun. But I do want to avoid losing perspective here. It is just one game, right? We've had about 24 hours now to calm down after that loss. We can recognize that this is just one game. Now, the Bucs could very well lose this series. I'm accepting that as a possibility. I'm not in denial here. But I think it would be foolish to not recognize that one game does not make a series. Just look at last year, 2019. The Bucs lost game one to Boston and then went on to win the next four and win the series in five. They won the first two games against Toronto and then Toronto came back to win four straight to move to the finals. So even last year, even the Bucs have examples and precedent of one game not deciding a series. In the Western Conference, in this playoffs, the 2020 playoffs, Denver won game one, then lost three in a row, then won the next two, and we have game seven between the Nuggets and the Jazz tonight. The Houston series is another great example. Houston went win, win, loss, loss, win, loss. And game seven between the Rockets and the Thunder will be tomorrow night. Game six last night was amazing. Full of drama, full of interesting storylines between Westbrook and Chris Paul. It was awesome. I, I share all of that with you to point out that that these are seven-game series. The first game doesn't decide anything. The Bucs have experienced that last year. Other teams have experienced it this year. The Bucs could easily lose this series. I'm not discounting that possibility, but let's not get bent out of shape over one game. Each game feels like it's life or death in the moment, and that's fine. During the game, we yell. We throw pillows across the room. Not saying I would. That's childish. I would never throw. Okay, I threw some things last night. In the moment, it's okay to get upset, right? But after you have 24 hours, I think we can look at this game objectively, and I think we can realize that it is just only one game. I want to avoid dumb overreaction takes. The NBA is ruthless. It's so reactionary, and the fans and the media members and everybody on social media, they just go crazy. Last night, I'm seeing Giannis is a fraud. Giannis is going to leave. He doesn't deserve MVP, doesn't deserve Defensive Player of the Year. Middleton and Lopez aren't built for the playoffs. Coach Bud can't coach in the playoffs. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's one game. We, we can't throw everything out the window. I hate the expression, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I hate this. It's one of my least favorite things. It makes me cringe. But I got to say it here. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's one loss. We can't throw away every bit of evidence and every preconceived notion we have of this team because of one loss. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Hopefully that's the last time you literally ever hear me say that because it makes me cringe. I hate it. It's not a good analogy. But here it applies. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Now, that being said, we do have to get into what the Bucs did poorly yesterday because it's not like they played flawlessly. They lost. So we do have to be realistic and realize that some things went wrong yesterday. What can the Bucs do better? One point from yesterday that really gives me concern is that the offense completely died after the first quarter. The Bucs scored 40 in the first quarter and then 23-23-18. If you do the math, that's 40 points in the first quarter and 64 combined in the next three. That's concerning. Now, the Bucs shot really well in the first quarter, so there's some natural regression, right? They're going to come down to earth a little bit, but not, not to that level, to the point where their offense almost disappears. Right, Miami naturally made adjustments at the end of the first quarter and at halftime, third quarter, fourth quarter. Miami was making adjustments and figuring things out. It would appear that the Bucs were not keeping up with the Joneses, that Coach Bud was not keeping up with Coach Eric Spolstra. The Bucs at one point, in fact, adjusted by centering their offense around a 39-year-old Kyle Korver. Kyle, I don't know what they were doing with Kyle Korver last night. Kyle Korver played 16 minutes. 
He almost played as many minutes as Wes Matthews. Kyle Korver took nine shots in total. That's one more than Brooke Lopez. That's only three fewer than Giannis, the MVP. What part of that makes any sense? At one point in the third quarter, every offensive possession was a Korver shot. Most of them were contested and on the move, and I know that's kind of Korver's game, but if those shots aren't going down, let's stop wasting our time. That's concerning, that at one point, the Bucks' offense simply became, let's get Kyle Korver the ball. I know he's 39 years old, but let's see if he can't get us a couple of buckets. The Heat are a great defensive team, and they certainly made adjustments over the course of this game, but the Bucks' offense looked directionless. They looked like they had no clue what they were supposed to do or where they were supposed to go. A good defense doesn't make that happen. A good defense is in the right place at the right time to counter a good offense. A good defense doesn't create complete chaos and, and, and eliminate every structure of the offense. That's not what a good defense does. The Bucs look like they had no game plan. That doesn't stem from a, a, a stifling, stiff defense. Other than the offensive collapse, which is the biggest issue of yesterday's game after the first quarter, like I said, 40 points in the first quarter, 64 combined between the next three. Other than that, put that aside, other than the offensive collapse, there are three huge reasons for this loss. One was expected and didn't surprise me. The other two shocked me. Three reasons the Bucks lost yesterday. One was expected. The other two completely blew me away. The expected one were the turnovers. The Bucks had 19. And it, like, that's not actually that much worse than the Heat. Now, you never want to have 19 turnovers, but the Heat had 16. So it was actually fairly balanced. Where the difference came was points off of those turnovers. The Bucs gave up 28 points off of turnovers. That's more than they scored in the second, third, and fourth quarter. They gave up more points off of turnovers than their entire scoring total from three of the four quarters last night. Points off of turnovers is one of the most important statistics in sports. Super Bowl 45, Packers went over the Steelers. The Packers got three turnovers, but they scored a touchdown off of every one of them. That's what decided that game. Points off of turnovers. It's bigger in football, but it still matters in basketball. Last night is a great example. It was so frustrating because a good handful of these turnovers were unforced. Just a bad pass out of bounds. A turnover that had no business being a turnover. Wesley Matthews just putting too much on the ball on a simple pass to the corner. You, you can't make turnovers like that. If you're going to have 15 turnovers that stem from being aggressive and attacking, fine. But I, you can't have five or six turnovers a game where you just make a bad pass. That's not paying attention to detail. That's not doing the little things correctly. You're not going to win playoff games like that. However, the Bucs have had a turnover issue. So reason number one, turnovers, not all that surprising. The other two biggest factors in yesterday's loss shocked me. Something I didn't expect to see from this Bucs team. Number one was points in the paint. The Bucs build their entire defense on protecting the paint. They build their defense around Giannis and Brooke Lopez. Two very sturdy rim protectors, shot blockers that can affect uh, shooters even at point-blank range. Now, they give up some threes, but they're supposed to be really, really good at protecting the paint, right? That's what the Bucs do. Well, the Bucs had 24 points in the paint. The Heat had 42. That's unacceptable for so many reasons because the Bucs give up threes to protect the paint. If you're giving up threes and not protecting the paint, well, then what are you doing? That's just not an effective defense, right? Also, the Heat should not have more points in the paint. The Heat are a three-point shooting team. You don't score on the Bucs by scoring in the paint. You heave threes. And last night, that wasn't the case. They had ball handlers. Jimmy Butler uh, was getting in the paint, obviously, a lot. We'll talk more about Jimmy Butler and, and a player like Bam Adebayo, who had some success inside. The, the Bucs don't give up inside shots. They don't give up layups. And they gave up a bunch of them yesterday. And what's really unacceptable is the Bucs gave up 24 points in the paint, which for them 
is terrible. Excuse me, 42 points in the paint to the Heat. That's unacceptable to me because Brooke Lopez, the stalwart uh, of their interior defense, only played 27 minutes last night. So you're getting gashed on the inside, and Coach Bud didn't do anything to fix it. He didn't play Brooke Lopez nearly as many minutes. He played 10 fewer minutes than Giannis and Middleton. Played 11 fewer minutes than George Hill. If you're getting if, if you're getting stops without Brooke Lopez on the floor, I get it. Then then go another direction. But if you're getting gashed in the paint, you need Brooke Lopez out there. And for whatever reason, Coach Bud just didn't prioritize his minutes last night. The Bucks base their defense on defense in the paint, and that was a complete train wreck last night. That's why things started to fall apart. That was surprise number one. Surprise number two. It's just free throws. Like I didn't think this is going to become an issue. We've been talking about energy and intensity. We've talked about uh, closing out on defense, protecting the rim. We've talked about so many things wrong with this Bucks team. Why? When did we add free throws to this list? It wasn't just like the Bucks missed six or seven free throws last night. As a team, they shot like 50% from the free throw line. They were 14 of 26. Shooting 20 of 26 is unacceptable. 14 out of 26 is just embarrassing. There's no reason for that, especially because you're playing in an arena without a crowd. It's not like you're dealing with hostile fans in Toronto. I can at least understand that. But shooting 53% from the free throw line in an empty gym just isn't acceptable. And it wasn't just Giannis. He was the worst of the bunch. Giannis is really bad from the free throw line. But Chris Middleton was four for eight. Chris Middleton is a 90% free throw shooter. Brooke Lopez is the best free of the starting lineup. Brooke Lopez was the best, the best free throw shooter they had. Went four of four. Giannis went four of 12 from the free throw line last night. George Hill missed a couple. Just, just an absolute nightmare. Just an absolute nightmare. And look, I'll watch the Bucks lose for a lot of reasons. If Jimmy Butler goes off, all right. Sometimes you got to tip your cap to the better player. If Giannis gets in foul trouble, okay, it's frustrating, but sometimes it happens. Missing free throws? We can't, we can't lose games because of free throws. We're not the Wisconsin Badgers. I swear, if this Bucks team is eliminated over free throws, I'm retiring from sports fandom. I've seen my teams lose every single way. I've seen them lose on a Hail Mary. I've seen them lose on a buzzer beater shot. If we're talking about uh, the Harrison, uh, I don't remember which twin it was, Aaron Harrison from Kentucky against the Badgers. And then I watched Grayson Allen take a dump all over the Badgers in the, the national championship game. I watched Ohio State run rough shot over the Badgers. I've watched him lose on an onside kick to Seattle. I've I've watched the Packers last year get gashed in the running game. I have watched it every single way. I have watched my team lose in the postseason in every single form and every single fashion. I'm not adding free throws to that list. I swear to God, if this Bucs team loses because of free throws, which all of a sudden became an issue on September 1st, 2020. Well, I guess yesterday was last day of August. If that all of a sudden becomes an issue, I like my hometown teams are inventing ways to lose in the postseason at this point. They are inventing new ways to lose. God, free throws. Three big reasons why the Bucks lost. Turnovers, which wasn't all that unexpected. But then now we're giving up points in the paint, and now we're missing free throws. We're just we're just another leak here. Pss, 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 here, here, here. There's there's leaks appearing out of nowhere in the Bucks rowboat. They're trying to patch them, but as soon as they patch one, another one bursts. Once again, not overreacting today. I'm simply pointing out the issues and trying to explain what happened last night to myself and to you. We're trying to have a conversation pointing out what went wrong last night. That doesn't mean that we're overreacting or being 
irrational. If we were being irrational, we'd say that Giannis doesn't deserve the MVP. He's not the defensive player of the year. And the coach Bud is an idiot. I have said none of those things. I think coach Bud made some mistakes last night and we'll talk about those coming up next. But we're not overreacting today, right? We're taking a measured response 24 hours later. We've all had some time to cool down as the Bucs are going to have to try to play from behind in this series. They trail one nothing. They lost 115-104. Dave Carney's going to help us out and add hopefully some different perspectives. Coming up at 4.30, I'm excited to get his take. You notice I didn't mention Jimmy Butler in this opening segment? Yesterday, uh, I closed the show by saying the Bucs should let Jimmy Butler beat them. Don't help off your shooters. Don't double team. Just let Jimmy Butler play and let him try to beat you. Now, Jimmy Butler beat the Bucs last night. He had 40 points. But I still think the Bucs took the correct defensive strategy against the Heat. Now, they didn't execute that strategy correctly, but they had the right idea. I want to explain what I'm talking about and how the Bucs should handle Jimmy Butler moving forward. Coming up next, it's the Wisco Sports Show uh, back in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. My name is Grant Bills. You can follow me on Twitter at Grant. Follow our next guest on Twitter, Dave Carney, at Dapper Dave C. Very dapper guy. Um, we now join uh, Dave Carney. He joins us on the five-star telecom talking text line. Dave, I'm trying not to overreact today. Trying not to get too riled up, and I think I'm I'm keeping myself controlled by and large. I, I want to get your takes on a couple of things. I actually want to ask you coming up in a few minutes about NBA fandom and culture because some things were bothering me, sticking out to me last night. First, though, I want to talk about a couple specific things on the on this game last night. I think it's important to keep perspective. Like I said, one game doesn't decide a series. But what bothers me about last night is that game was very winnable. You had good performances from Middleton, good performances from Brooke Lopez. That's not a given moving forward. So everything the Bucs were up against last night, right? Eric Bledsoe was out. They're not great against the Heat as it is. I still thought that game was there to be won. And it feels like a huge missed opportunity to me. That's what bothers me about last night's game specifically. So thanks for having me. Always good to be part of the Wisco Sports Show. And look, it is one game, and I heard you're open. You can't make too much out of it, but you can be mildly to, let's say, mediumly concerned, if that's a word, which it isn't. (laughs) I don't think you can make too much out of it. You and I spent some time off air talking about why. But there's some things that you hit on in the first segment of the show, Grant, that are atypical of this Milwaukee team. The first thing and most glaring is lack of paint production, meaning lack of points in the paint. The Bucks got 24 points in the paint. Giannis on his own averages around 17 and a half a game this season. Okay, so that's an aberration. The Bucks are one of the best rebounding teams in the NBA. They got killed on the boards. I think they got out-rebounded by 14. I don't have my stats in front of me, but it was a huge difference on the boards. The turnovers... As you mentioned, not glaring in discrepancy, 16 for Miami, 19 for the Bucks, But 28 points off of those 19-buck turnovers, that's not going to get it done. And you mentioned Brooke Lopez having a good game. You can count on him in, in the offensive world during this bubble restart. He has been exceptional on the offensive end. But one thing that I took a great deal of exception with this morning, and I've always had a problem with, I don't care what position type you play. If you're seven foot anything, one rebound is not going to, that's not acceptable. You can't be that big. And Brooke Lopez is huge. He is a mountain of a man. 
You cannot be that big and give me one rebound. That's not going to cut it. But essentially, what I saw last night, Grant, to go on to your point, was a winnable basketball game, a game that, look, if Giannis doesn't go four for 12 from the free throw line, if a couple of other free throws don't miss off, I mean, 53% from the free throw line, uh-huh. if the Bucs get the same percentage as the Miami Heat, the Bucs win that game. The Bucs win the game. They've got enough in the free throws to win that game. So there were opportunities, but I think that Mike Budenholzer, I think that this Bucks team in this bubble environment are using each game as, as an assessment because the other thing you stated at the beginning, the series wouldn't really uh, be considered a start because there was no road team that won. <laughs> things all different, man. You, you've got no crowd to inspire big runs. You've got no crowd to bury the team when they're getting down or bring you back when you are down. So there's so many different little nuances that go into it, but overreaction um, on Twitter and and other socials, I know we can get to that, is so common in the NBA. It is hard to deal with at times, I give you that. But on on a non, let's say, a non-biased, an outsider's perspective looking in, I thought it was just a bit of a feeling out game. And Miami gave them, what, four, right? Jimmy Butler shoots 24% from downtown yeah. in the regular season. He went crazy last night. Of course. And that's how sports work, right? And and ideally, over the course of a seven-game series, the, way, the reason they play seven-game series is because those kind of things balance out. So the seven-game series is the great equalizer. We'll see what Jimmy Butler does the rest. He was great last night. We'll see if that continues. I, I don't disagree with you about the feeling out period. I think Bud likes to play all of his players and see what's going on. The problem with me, Dave, and here's where you lose me on the feeling out period. Through three and a half quarters, I'd like to think that a coach should have a pretty good handle on the game that's going on in front of him, in the case of Coach Bud. feel like he should have a pretty good feel for what's going on. Last night, the Bucks had a couple glaring weaknesses. Number one, they were getting killed in the paint, right? Brooke Lopez is their stalwart defender. He played 10 fewer minutes than Giannis and Middleton last night. That makes no sense to me. Right, It also makes no sense to me. All the numbers, statistics, hard evidence indicate that Wesley Matthews was the most effective defender by far on Jimmy Butler last night. And that was easy to tell through three and a half quarters. Coach Bud closed the game with Pat Connaughton, right? Like, I'm all for a feeling out period. Don't get me wrong. But you got to feel out mid-game sometimes, too. And there were no reason. There were no reasons for some of the things that Coach Bud did. I, I think Coach Bud's taking a little bit of a beating. And fans just turn on him anytime they lose. Like, well, he should have played Giannis more. He should have played his stars more minutes. Well, it's not always that simple. But last night, there were a couple of actually very concrete instances of players he could have played more, right? And I think the more Brooke, more West would have helped on Jimmy Butler, would have helped the points in the paint, and I think would have helped with rebounding too. I, what do you make of Coach Bud in the way that he coached last night, especially in crunch time? I get the 11 guys in the first quarter, the feeling out period. But by the fourth quarter, you got to have those things figured out. Yes, I agree with that in in a holistic sort of a way, but on a microcosmic sort of a level, Grant, you got to remember that the game gets altered by what the players do. The coaches can have the very best of intentions, but the players still have to execute. Mm-hmm. And what you saw last night was Giannis getting in early foul trouble. There were some inopportune fouls from Brooke Lopez, and Wesley Matthews, while statistically might have been the better defender on Jimmy Butler, was also getting manhandled out there and couldn't get his shot off because since he tore his ACL, I mean, Wesley Matthews used to be able to really get to the hoop. He largely stays on the perimeter now. He is a tough defender. I, I, I give him that and really like him. So I, I, what I think, and this is just my personal gut opinion, at a certain point, coming down the stretch, coach knows that nobody is hitting anything. And so you know what? Just like an NFL coach might decide and 
the fourth preseason game when we used to have preseason football. I'm going to run vanilla at this for a minute because what we've been doing tonight, it's not going to get it done. And it is a seven-game series. There isn't the necessary impetus to win the one game at all costs. And I think when you look at it from that approach, Grant, and you really take the more seasoned, rational approach, again, Mike Budenholzer is a product of Greg Popovich. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you got to look at this game and say, okay, we're going to fold on this one, which is what happened. Milwaukee folded down the stretch, and the, and the Heat got hot. And I give the Heat credit. They're a good team. They're a plucky team. Uh, Eric Spolster, a crazy stat last night. I didn't realize he had the third highest playoff winning percentage in NBA history or fourth highest percentage. He's behind Bill Jackson um, and, and a couple of other guys. And you're like, wow, that's that's crazy. So Spolster's a good coach. The Heat are a tough team. But 1 through 15, Milwaukee's got a much better roster. And, and to the Kyle Korver stuff here, I that's what I saw from Mike Budenholzer last night. He's like, okay, we're pulling this thing out of uh, contention this evening, and we're going to roll out here with this lineup. And if it happens to do something great, if not, we're moving on to game two. And and look, Dave, I, I don't want to argue with you, but it, like, I don't think he had to wave the white flag. I think he had more buttons to push to actually try to win the game. Like This game was not lost halfway through the third quarter. Like More minutes for Brook, more minutes for Wes. I, I'm okay with you trying Corver, right? I'm, I'm okay with all of these things. It, the way you make it sound, this game was a lost cause at halftime, and Bud's like, well, you know, we'll oh. fold and try some things out. That, that, that's not what I saw. I didn't see that either, but when I'm looking at this game, in the fourth quarter specifically, the Bucs had made another run because this was nip and tuck until the last four minutes, yep. right? It was really nip and tuck until the last four minutes. Giannis goes to the line. He's got an opportunity. They're down by, I want to say, four points. He can bring them within two. He clanks both of the free throws. The Heat take the rebound, go full court, score a bucket. They're up by six. They get a turnover. Surprise, surprise. Turn that into two more points. You're up by eight. That happens so quickly that that's what I was really referring to the Corver stuff. But on a, I mean, on a just a basic coaching philosophy level, Mike Budenholzer apparently just really likes to play a lot of different guys. Which there's different ways to look at that. One way is that you keep everybody engaged and everybody ready. And in this particular experiment of playing within a bubble, that might be even more important than we realize because, you know, you can't not ever play Frank Mason or Thanasis and never really have them out there and expect them to remain engaged. And God forbid somebody gets injured, then they're called upon. You're doomed. So there's part of that that goes into, I believe, what his philosophy is. But essentially, I, I, I guess part of me is just given up to the fact that this guy runs kooky lineups and it, it works sometimes, and other times it doesn't. It reminds me of Craig Council. When yeah. he's doing pitching stuff and people are loving it because it's winning, it's great work. When it's not, he's the worst manager in the majors. Yeah, I, I, I agree with your comparison to Craig Council, right? When it works, it's great. When it doesn't work, it's it's the worst thing in the world. I, I agree. I, I just I think Coach Bud could have had it both ways. I think he tinkered the right amount last night. But when the fourth quarter rolled around, I thought the answers were obvious, and I didn't think he took those answers, right? And, and we can... On Twitter. What I was mean, that? Him on I mean, send him an email. Tell him, like, hey, dude, switch <laughs> out this guy at this time. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say because, again, you know, you basically, I think, said what exactly needed to be said at the beginning. This is one game. Should you be able to extrapolate something from it? Yes, absolutely. But to go to what you're... Twitter NBA crowd or your your social NBA crowd will do, which is yeah. hyper-micro-analyze hyper everything. Look, Giannis had nearly a triple-double. He was one rebound shy of a triple-double, right? He, you know, he's, he's right there. Middleton had 28. Brooke Lopez had 24. 
Middleton turned the ball over too much. Lopez didn't rebound. These are correctable things, right? It, it's not like the, the, the system of the Bucks is flawed. You were right about to say Jimmy Butler can get his and the other guys should be left to their devices. You add in an Eric Bledsoe, and that should average, you know, average itself out a bit, I think. No, and, and as Bucks fans, we can take solace in a seven-game series. I, I completely agree. Dave Carney, the WKTY Morning Show, joining us for just a couple more minutes. Dave, I want to ask you about a more of a real-world thing here. This is something that I noticed last night. I love the NBA. It's my favorite league. But something's really souring on me in the NBA, and it's the way the media and the fans and social media all combine to what I have really started to realize is kind of a toxic environment. Like, the Bucks lost last night in a great game, and Jimmy Butler took over down the stretch. But the conversation didn't become about Jimmy Butler and his great performance. It became about how Giannis is a fraud, right? And he shouldn't be the defensive player of the year. And he's a con man and he's fake. And Coach Bud sucks and the Bucks suck. And they'll never have another great superstar again. And Giannis <laughs> is going to leave and Milwaukee is the worst. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, and it, and it happened last night with Russell Westbrook too. And I, when he had those turnovers and he started to melt down, I said, oh my God, the mob is going to come for him. Like, this part of the NBA has really become unattractive to me. The way that... Regular fans like me who are not athletic, not big and strong, can't shoot, can't do anything, feel so emboldened to like really personally attack these players and make judgments on their value. I, is this something you've noticed? Something that's gotten worse? I'm not sure because I really hate it. And I'm really starting to notice it now as a fan of the Bucks because the Bucks have often found themselves in the crosshairs. Well, so, okay, let's just be real, real obvious or honest about one obvious situation is that the NBA, more than any other league, has gotten extremely issue-based. People want to call it political if they want, but it's not really political. It's issue-based, and that definitely draws out some different kinds of emotions, right? So if you're an NBA fan but you don't like what's going on, you're going to be quicker to anger on social platforms, and this is just this is an epidemic of its own the social media nastiness, which just gets bad. It's, it's, it's a, a cesspool. We, we just have to admit that. But to the NBA thing, I think that because the NBA has got the youngest fan base overall, that's just the truth. If you look at the average NBA fans age, it's the youngest fan base of the major four professional sports. It offers up a lot more quick trigger. I've got 160 characters ready to flash out of here in five seconds. And I'm going to trash this guy. I feel like that's the not a generational thing, but that's a user thing, right? With the social platforms that we have, oftentimes it comes down to who can have the hottest take, who can be, who can be way worse than Skip Bayless ever dreamed of being, and more out in left field about the Packers than Colin Cowherd. And you get a lot of these. I don't know. Grant, if there are people looking to make a name for themselves in the sports world, but it seems to me that that's a desperate cry for a voice. The stuff about the Giannis thing, which I've gone on hours about is that he is not an American player. This dude ain't going to give up a quarter of a billion dollars for anybody. I'm just telling you that right now. That's not going to happen. His mother would kill him. They'd never let him do that. I mean, his own family. Think about that. A quarter of a billion dollars. You're going to move to California, pay 20% state tax, and take 20% less? You're, you're down 40 already? I don't think so. That's not how it works. And there's a lot of misconceptions about the team, the Bucks, and the state of Wisconsin. Grant, before I moved here, you know, I had some people ask me from Las Vegas, like, oh, God, why? And I was like, you've never been there. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but if you're not from here and you're looking at this from the outside looking in, do you want Giannis to stay in Milwaukee? Is that attractive to you, or do you need him to be at a bigger market? Um, do you want the state of Wisconsin to have a winning team? And, and for Wisconsin fans, too, for Buck fans that get on this, that's a loser's mentality. We, we shouldn't have that. If we ever hope to be 
about championships, then you have to keep the mentality of championships or a possibility. Packer fans, I mean, they can put themselves in delusions of grandeur easily. How come it stops there, right? We've got to be able to open it up a bit. But, yeah, the, the cesspool of social media, it's just – it's hard to follow. I tell you, I put in my requisite time, Grant, and then I check out. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm good. Bye-bye. <laughs> that's, that's essentially what I've been trying to do as well. Get on there and, and get the information that I need and then get off and try to avoid it as much as I can. Dave Carney, I appreciate you. I will talk to you tomorrow morning, yes, uh, bright and early for the G-Spot at 820. Have a good night, Dave. I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow, man. Thanks again. Thanks, bud. That's Dave Carney, host of the WKTY Morning Show. You can hear me joining him tomorrow at the crack of dawn. Uh, Dave will be going to bed, I'm sure, soon as he gets up at, I don't know, 3 a.m., 2.45. Uh, and I will be uh, I will be getting up after Dave has been awake for what six hours tomorrow. The schedule uh, difference between the two of us is actually quite hilarious. When we come back, I want to touch on the Brewers for just a couple of minutes before we get back into the Bucks. The trade deadline was yesterday. A couple of thoughts, and if you want to share yours as well, you can six zero eight seven nine six two five five eight. Brewers trade deadline talk coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show rolling on here on WKTY. Appreciate you tuning in and hanging out. We got Brewers baseball. Coming up later tonight, we'll have the Bucks, of course, back tomorrow. If you're looking for a place to hang out tonight, stop by the Eagle's Nest on Campbell Road right next to UWL. 15% off using promo code GRANT. If you're dining in or you'd rather take it to go or get delivery, promo code GRANT works. 15% off no matter what you're getting. That's where I'm going to be watching Game 7 tonight. I can't wait for Jazz uh, Nuggets. It's kind of nice. Our, our guest us, our guest now, excuse me, Radio Joe. Joe, do you agree with me that sometimes it's nice on a night where the Bucks don't play, you can just kind of sit back and casually watch basketball and not have to worry about the future of your team and, and everybody taking a dump on your team and being eliminated from the playoffs? It's kind of nice, right? Yeah, it is kind of nice. Um, and a lot of times, too, I won't even watch sports. I will just have a <laughs> mental reset and watch a movie or a show because after all, there's so much stuff to watch these days. So, you know, I... I'm not going to complain about my job. We have a pretty cool job. Yeah, we do. We do have a cool job. I'm excited to watch. Um, I've been I've been binging Community right now, Joe. That's my sitcom that I've been watching, uh, which has been excellent. But I am excited for Game 7 tonight because Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell have been absolutely unreal. Naturally, so far on the show today, Joe, we've been talking about the Bucks' loss last night. Now, you obviously hear from callers and texters and tweeters from all over the state because the Bill Michaels show is border to border, as we know, because we have you every day from 11 to 2 on WKTY. What was the response like from from your entire listenership today? Was it measured or was it kind of a irrational overreaction and are people freaking out? Uh, honestly, I think it was a nice wide array of, of takes today. I mean, yeah, you're going to get overreaction after one game, and it was it was the same deal after the Orlando game. Um, those takes are going to come out no matter what. And that's something people like you and me have to get used to because no matter what, there's always going to be an irrational take and overreactance at the top of that when it comes to games like this. Um, a lot of people had issues last night, and rightly so, about who should have been guarding Jimmy Butler in the final stretches. Now, look, I I don't know. You know, Looking back at that highlight reel from Jimmy Butler um, in the last few minutes, I mean, some of the shots he was hitting, there was really nothing you could have done about it, no matter who was on him. But I think at the end of the day, if I'm picking one guy that should have been on Jimmy Butler and why he was sitting on the bench, it was Wesley Matthews. I mean, he's by far your best defender. He matches up very well with Jimmy. That's probably the guy that should have been doing it. It should have been Chris Middleton. He struggled all night against him. Same thing with George Hill. That sh- He should have been the guy. Some people want to argue Giannis, okay, fine. 
but I think Wesley Matthews probably should have been the guy that was staying on Jimmy Butler. So there was there was a lot of, there was a lot of strong takes about that today, um, and a lot of people just have issues with Giannis free throws. Um, it's just it is becoming very frustrating to see a, a player who's an MVP and has regressed as a free throw shooter. That's been one of my biggest gripes coming out coming out of that game, and I can talk more about it, but. It's it's kind of what you expect, and and it's like it's like any other game we talk about, even with like the Packers. It's you know you come off of the game, you, you see everything that happens, and there's a lot of knee jerk reactions. I've learned over the years not to have so many knee jerk reactions because it is a process, and I also felt that this game was going to go seven games anyway. So. Miami's a really good team. There's just got to be some changes, and there's going to have to be some better play from some of those guys on the box. Yeah, I was a little frustrated last night that they were missing all the free throws. I, I get if you're playing in Toronto, right, and the crowd is on you and the energy is insane. I get missing some free throws then, but last night, like, it wasn't even on my radar. I wasn't even concerned about it going into the game because, as you said, like, Giannis isn't an amazing free throw shooter. He has a bad game here and there, but he's not miserable. He's not Shaq or um, like Dwight Howard a couple of years ago. Like, he's good enough, and, and I thought, no hostile environment, right? No crazy Toronto fans. Probably won't be an issue, and then, of course, it becomes an issue last night. I, I was very fascinated by the Defensive Player of the Year argument that was coming today, especially on Twitter. Everyone's saying, well, if Giannis is a Defensive Player of the Year, he's got to guard Jimmy Butler in crunch time. I I mean, if Anthony Davis is Defensive Player of the Year, he wouldn't have guarded Jimmy Butler. Rudy Gobert wouldn't have, like... We can't, it can't be as simple as that, right? Giannis's role in this defense isn't as a 1v1 perimeter defender. Like, Kawhi's a little bit smaller. Kawhi can do that, right? There are other players that can kind of be the, you know, I got this guy at the end of the game. That's not Giannis's role on this defense. That's not when he's most effective. I guess I wasn't shocked that that was the narrative on social media because it's not exactly the most rational place. But it frustrates me. It's like Giannis loses one game. It's like, see, he shouldn't have been the MVP. Right, Giannis doesn't defend somebody one time, and well, he shouldn't have been the defensive player of the year. That was pretty frustrating and exhausting today, and I don't really know what to do about it, Joe. Is that something that you heard from callers and texters today? Well, yeah, I just I think people are just they just forget everything Giannis has been able to put together in a season that was delayed four months. I mean, and that that's the thing that's so unfortunate. I mean, you look at how unbelievable he was throughout the course of the regular season, the Bucks as a team, how incredible they were throughout the course of the season, and then four months go by without basketball, and literally everyone locally and nationally forgot how good the Bucks really were during that stretch. And yeah, you, you can say, well, obviously the postseason is a completely different animal than the regular season, and you can start making takes like, well, Miami's got more depth than the Bucks. Well, if you remember what the Bucks were doing in the regular season before the pandemic, they had a ton of depth, and that was a key reason why they were winning all those basketball games. It wasn't always Giannis just having a ridiculous game and nothing else was there, and that's why they won. No, they, there, there was a strong supporting cast that John Horst put together that continues to not get enough credit. The Bucks certainly have enough depth to go toe-to-toe with Miami and any other team in the NBA right now. It's just at times, in the short term, from what we're looking at right now, some guys don't step up, some guys miss easy looks, um, some guys make stupid mistakes with turnovers, some guys play poor defense, but we got to remember, part of the reason why the Bucks were the number one seed going in is because all these guys were playing great before the pandemic. So 
not none of this surprises me, Grant. And this is this is going to continue to go on as long as the Bucks stay in the NBA playoff race. But this team has the opportunity to bounce back in Game Two, and I would expect that they do. Yeah, one game does not decide a series. There's lots of evidence last year and this year so far through only one round that game one, you know, doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. I mean, we have a game seven tonight, another one tomorrow. It's very back and forth. So everything is still in front of the Bucks. Joe Zanzola, you hear him on the Bill Michaels show every day, 11 to 2, now joining us on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. Do you want to talk about Chris Middleton or, or Brooke Lopez? I thought Chris was great last night. I, I think he struggles at times to find his shot when things are clicking and things are going well and Middleton can kind of pull up and and take the easy shots in rhythm. He's great. And then when the offense slows down a little bit, sometimes it looks like he struggles to find his shot. What I've really liked in the bubble is that they have been a little bit more willing to play through Brooke Lopez at times when they have a good matchup that they like, they'll let the game slow down and they'll let Brooke Lopez kind of rumble and do his thing in the paint. And he's been really effective. He's been effective shooting as well. A lot of people have complained about coach Bud. And they've said, well, he needs to make adjustments. He needs to play his stars more. Th- those are very not specific complaints, right? Those are just kind of big picture complaints, right? If you have something specific, I'm, I'm all for, you know, criticizing Coach Bud. Last night, it bothered me that Brooke Lopez only played 27 minutes compared to Middleton and Giannis, who both played 10 more. When you're getting killed in the pain and when Brooke Lopez is playing well, I'd like to see him out there. What do you think of Splash Mountain and the way they've used him so far in, in the first and the second round? I mean, look, I, I don't... Maybe it's something about Walt Disney World because the guys at Disney World <laughs> nut. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I tweeted this uh, last night. I'm like, maybe he just has that Walt Disney World magic. Maybe, maybe Walt Disney up up in the graces of heaven is blessing him with this magic, and 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 he's playing really well. I don't know. It, the bottom line is, Brooke Lopez, especially from a three point standpoint, back in the regular season before the pandemic. Brooke Lopez was having a really down year from beyond the arc. And we remember last year just how amazing he was as a three-point shooter. I mean, he Brooke Lopez really regressed this season, and so Bud was using him more as a post-up player. But now what we've seen in the bubble, not only has he been very good as a post-up player, he's been hitting three three-point shots. And last night, look, I, and I tweeted this out too, and I'll double down on it. There's no reason why Brooke Lopez should be playing less than 30 minutes in that game, considering you needed offense to keep pace with Miami in this game, and the fact that Brooke Lopez was 8 of 9 from the field at halftime. I mean, he had 19 points. Chris Middleton had 21. Those guys combined for 40 points at halftime, and then we're midway through the fourth quarter, and Middleton and Lopez have a combined four points. Now, how does how do you how do you allow that? Agreed. You needed offense. You needed ways to uh, keep pace with them. Those guys should have been on the floor more. And I had four or five people tweet at me. Well, Joe, the reason why Lopez wasn't playing more than that was he was in foul trouble. Okay, fine. That that's that's cool. I get it. You want to try and save him, but at this point. He was one of your hottest shooters, and that's who I want to roll with. That's who I want to give the ball to. That's who I want to set plays for and get him open. Whatever it takes. And if he falls out, he falls out fine. Your interior defense sucked last night. Yes. So it, do, it, it doesn't matter if Brooke Lopez didn't fit well anyway against this Miami team that's more athletic and, and has you know shorter players and doesn't have as many big bodies that match up well with Brooke Lopez. But the bottom line is you needed, to, you needed someone to trust last night offensively. 
Brooke Lopez was one of those guys. Same thing with Chris Middleton. And I agree with you with Middleton that, you know, there are times where he will press, especially he'll, he'll do it. He'll do it early in games and he will do it, do it late in games where he feels like he really needs to turn it on. But the problem is he holds the basketball for too long and defenses get set on him. And now all of a sudden they're playing up on Chris and, Chris can't go anywhere. He can't get rid of the ball, and now he's trying to jack up a shot that he knows that he's probably not going to be able to make. So I, I just felt like it was a missed opportunity last night to try to put the offense around those two guys because, because those guys were clearly hitting and the fact that Giannis was struggling offensively and you had guys that could pick up that kind of slack because it just it was so obvious, Grant, that Giannis was not going to put up that 30-point, 15-rebound, 7-8-assist type game that he usually does every single night. So, you know, sometimes you just have to ride with the hot hand and you got to stop overthinking some of the matchups that are out there. But again, what 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 do you and me know when it comes to this kind of stuff? I just I, I just think it was it was a missed opportunity last night. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You, you lose game one, okay? I can go to sleep at night. But that was a really winnable game. That's a that's an opportunity that I think the Bucks missed. It, and Joe, I think you put it the right way. It was obvious, right? They needed offense. Brooke Lopez was giving you offense. You were getting killed on the interior. Brooke Lopez is your best interior defender. Like, that's obvious yep. to me. You shouldn't need to be a veteran basketball coach to understand that. Coach Bud is. that. I, I would like to think that in game two, hopefully he's a little bit more self-aware and he's willing to just do the obvious thing. Right? You don't always have to, like, find a way to get Pat Connaughton and Kyle Korver in the game. Like, sometimes you can just do the obvious thing. I, I agree with you. Joe, uh, right. one last thing. What do you think about the trade deadline? Do you feel strongly one way or another about what the Brewers did? Like, what have you guys been talking about on the Bill Michaels show? Well, I mean, honestly, it didn't really matter to me what Stearns was going to do. Um, you know, first of all, you have to look at it from the standpoint of how do you value this season? Like, mm -hmm. if the Brewers were to if the Brewers were to win the World Series this year, like, what would that mean to you as a fan? Would you be like, hey, the Brewers finally won a World Series? Or would you look at it and say, eh, so what? This was season. This didn't really count. That, that's the first question you have to ask. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, depending on how you feel about that, then you can have a better idea and a better take as to, all right, well, what should the Brewers do with the trade deadline? See, for me, I'm not I, – I, I don't – if the Brewers were to win a World Series this year – to me, that that just doesn't feel the same way. It just doesn't because we all know it is a marathon to get through 162 games and then be able to get through those rounds in the postseason. It, it is a completely different animal, and it just takes so much time and so much patience, and guys have to be healthy, and guys have to be on hot streaks, and there's so many more factors, and winning a World Series is just so hard to do in this sport. So... I just, for me, this Brewers team has been hovering around 500. I think they're good enough to stink into the postseason. I don't think they're a World Series caliber team. And, yeah, I mean, David Stearns flipped David Phelps for three pitching prospects, which I really, really like because there's going to be a point where the Brewers are going to have to restock that farm system. And I'm not saying they need to do a full-on, you know, blow-up rebuild where they're be able to compete and you want to um, you know try to do that sustained success approach that David Stearns has you need to have more assets in your farm system because 
if you if you are competing next year and you have a better farm system, you you're able to move some of those pieces to push your team in a position to actually go and win it all. So, you know, it, it really doesn't matter to me at this point. I I had no problem moving Phelps. Would have been kind of good if they can move a couple other veterans, but there's really not a ton of value. The value comes with some of their young young core guys, and unless they're going to get some ridiculous, stupid package where they're going to get three or four top 100 prospects in return, like if you move Josh Hader, for example, yeah. it's the only way I'm going to move him is is if he's going to if Stearns is going to get like at least three top 100 prospects, but that's not going to happen, and you have no reason to just try and, you know, get rid of Josh Hader for peanuts. You can't do that. So just long story short, I got no problem with how David Stearns handled things yesterday. And, again, I think this Brewers team is still good enough right now to sneak into the playoffs here. And who knows? They have a reputation in September for getting on these really hot streaks. So who knows? Maybe this particular team does the same thing. Who knows? Yeah, I think Stearns realizes that if this team is going to make the playoffs, that it's going to be because these guys get it going. And I don't know if one bat or, or one addition to this team really would have changed that fact. So I, I was happy with the trade deadline yesterday as well. I just was wondering if you had some fiery opinion. You never know. Radio Joe, you can hear him with Bill Michaels every day, 11 to 2 on the Bill Michaels Show. Joe, I appreciate you. Come on anytime. I love having you. Anytime, Grant. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. That's Radio Joe. Uh, you hear him once again alongside Bill Michaels. He uh, is the that is the headline show in our afternoon lineup here on WKTY. So when we come back, I want to get into football. I want to talk Vikings. They made a huge, huge move over the weekend, trading for another edge rusher. Yannick Ngankwe nailed it. Yep, I'm going to nail it when we come back, too. I've been practicing uh, for the last couple of days. Yannick Ngankwe, newest member of the Vikings. We'll talk about it coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show.